Hi, I'm Rosie, and you're listening to the second season of What Does Your Family Look Like? Thanks for joining in for more conversation about our mom, Belle. Last time we changed course, took on the more serious side, recollecting her inpatient experience at Phipps Psychiatric Center. Now we move on to yet another challenge, this one being a physical one, facing a breast cancer diagnosis in 1959. Let's listen to my sister's remembrances of that difficult time. You were four. I was 18. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. It happened. She had her surgery in August. So I was 18. And that was quite a scare back then. I mean, it's a scare now, but it there's was, ways it, to really deal with it now. Yeah, it was it was a scary uh, diagnosis. I mean, you probably because thought... you didn't know, you didn't know how, you didn't know the seriousness of it. You didn't know uh, what um, how bad it was. Right. And she found she found it. She said she was sleeping. It felt like a pee. Mm-hmm. It was hard, and she didn't put it off. No, she went right to the doctor. He said, "Yeah, you know, that's." look into it and um, have surgery. So she went to Gann, Mark Gann, who was an absolutely wonderful man. Of, he was very compassionate. Mm-hmm. And um, August, she had a radical mastectomy. Can I just ask you, do you remember what the feeling was in the home this you know, whole, you know, this, you know the, the whole... feeling the feeling at home was I think I could just put it this way it was optimistically guarded mm-hmm. I mean you didn't want to walk around with gloom and doom all over the place mm-hmm. and she was a she was an absolute soldier hmm. she she bravery she was great how she, long was she in the hospital for she was probably in the hospital about five days, guessing. I mean, it's certainly not like today where you you do it out on the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> then she went in and had a complete total hysterectomy, and she was fine later, with that. You said two months later? Two months later. And since she had cancer, they did not give her any kind of uh, therapeutic uh, medication or, such hormone? as hormones. Yeah. Yeah, so, so she sweat a lot. Cause she, she, <laughs> I remember she, that. she perspired up until, up until almost the end of her life. I know. I remember driving in the winter with her when she was older, and I had the heat on, and she would say, "My God, turn that heat off!" And I'm like, "Ma, it's like 25 degrees outside." She's like, "I'm," and she's sweating full sweat. Were there any um, after effects of? Of the of, uh, of the surgeries, yeah, she had to come to terms with what she was dealt with. Oh my gosh, yeah. So we're not even talking. Not about... only did she have to come to terms with, with it, yeah, Daddy but Daddy had, had to, to as well. Yeah, and I will say, because it's a big scar. It's a it, real... it's a big scar. I mean, it's... a woman has vanity. I don't care who you are, mm-hmm. and there was no such thing as breast reconstruction at the time. That's right. And she was very uncomfortable with... With her prosthesis. Right, with the prosthesis. So she stuffed... She stuffed it with whatever, whatever she, she could it stuff it with. with. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, but yet, 
when she moved down to Florida. She had to use a prosthesis because she did use the pool. Oh. Yeah, she did use the pool. She enjoyed she, that. So she had to use a prosthesis when she had her bathing suit on? When she needed to use one. She did. She did. Yeah, I can't imagine what that must have been like for them. I, You know, I think maybe, and I'm just making a stretch here, they were so happy that she survived it. And that Absolutely. there weren't other cancers that yeah. that helped her realize, like, I, I only have one breast. It looks horrible. I feel you know what? not as feminine, but I'm here. She's here. She got, when you get dressed, she looked, nobody would ever know. Mm-hmm. It, there's no bright lights that flash. Mm-hmm. And she came to terms with it beautifully, Ro. Oh, yeah, she you was would good like never, that. ever know mm-hmm. unless somebody knew her family history. Mm-hmm. She said to me when I was much older, and we would have talked about this. Um, she said, oh, I, I have to tell you one of the, I, I used to pray to God that nobody had to raise my four-year-old. She said, because Miriam was 18, Meyer was 14, and while I didn't want to leave them, they had already had most of their growing up. But you were only four. And I wasn't going to let anybody else raise you. Yeah. And I remember that. That meant a lot. I would have probably almost raised you. Uh, Probably would have. Here's my brother's recollection of that time. I mean, we waited in that hospital all day long. She was up in the operating room. And I remember driving home and I remember seeing Daddy cry. It's It's the first and last time I ever remember seeing the man cry. Never saw him cry before. Hmm. Yeah. I think he was a quiet crier. Yeah. I'm going to fast forward 23 years to when mom and dad moved to Clearwater, Florida. Dad was 63 and mom 61. Due to his heart and diabetic issues, his doctor recommended they move south, thinking the warmer climate would be good for him. He was eager to leave the cab business and move while mom was trepidatious about leaving Baltimore and the family. The truth is, she started to get a little depressed just before leaving. Here's the irony. Instead of the move adding years to his life, he died suddenly nine months later, leaving mom alone in Florida after 41 years of marriage. Besides all the grief, loneliness, and all the administrative stuff one encounters surrounding the loss of a spouse, now mom was faced with learning how to drive. She had never driven. She relied on dad, neighbors, or walked. She was in a serious car accident in her younger years and refused to learn after that. Well, facing widowhood at 62, left alone to fend for herself, she took on the challenge of learning how to drive. Here's what Mima and I recall. Mm-hmm. And they had only been down there. I don't even think it was a year. No, and, it wasn't long. And so we figured that mom would pack up and move back home to Baltimore right. where her family is. Yeah, she moved, But not she, her. She persevered. Yeah, she stayed with me for a while. Right after the funeral and the shiva, and she stayed mm-hmm. with you for like a month, and then she went. We were, we were like, "Ma, you're going to move back?" No, I have a job down there. I'm going to go back. I have friends, 
And we were scratching our heads. Yeah. Like, what the hell? (laughs) And she did. That's where she she learned to drive. And she learned to drive. So our brother set her up with a driving school. She had lots and lots and lots, many hours (laughs) of practice. And... I, Miriam said it took her about five times to get a license, and then the f- sixth time, she gets into the car, and it was the same tester, and he said, Mrs. Ruthenberg, you're going to pass today. And she said, I am? And I think we believe that he didn't make her do the parallel parking test this time, and she passed. Yes. So it's a good news, bad news. Now she's Good news is she's got a license. Bad news is she's got a license. So we're up here in Baltimore thinking, my God, our 62 or 63-year-old mother at this time is driving. Put yes. the fear in me. I didn't even want to think about it. Didn't she get caught on the railroad on tracks On a railroad once? track? Yes. She told us months afterwards. Uh-huh. She gets stuck on a railroad track. And I don't know why she was stuck. Me I mean, obviously... She moved along. Yeah. I don't think that there was a train racing at her. Thank God. But the fact that she was stuck on a railroad track was a little disheartening. Yeah. (laughs) Frightening. (laughs) Yeah. Real frightening. So she stayed down there and she, you know, made a life after daddy. She did. After only being there nine months. So I, she really Mm -hmm. picks herself up, dusts herself off. And start all over over again. again. She really did. It was amazing. Yeah, she and came, then at 67, she moved back. She was eight, in 1984, she moved back, to be exact. That's when she moved back in 84. Okay. And she was depressed when she moved back. She had had a bout of, um, what is that? Shingles. Do you oh, remember she had a bad gosh. bout of shingles? That was in Florida. That was in Florida. And that kind of did her in, and she needed to come home. Yeah, yeah, she came home. And she came home, and she made this great life for herself. Right. She moved into her little apartment, and And she she bought new furniture. She She was very happy. And she had some rules about driving. So now she's driving on Liberty Road, and for those people who don't know Liberty Road, it is a four-lane highway that's local, but it's got so much traffic, and now... I'm petrified that she's driving on Liberty Road. And she only went to place, she found her bank and her food store, any place, any all, all of her errands, all of her chores were at the top. You go to the top and you make a right. And as long as you make a right, you're safe. Well, and she, she felt as if, if she makes a right-hand turn and then turns into a street that has a stoplight. Right. She can turn herself around, use the stoplight to make a left-hand left. turn. She was very smart. I was very grateful yes. for that logic. Yeah, me too. Yes, absolutely. And she came over to our house every... I picked her up every Sunday and she came over. And I picked her up every Saturday and we drove around and did errands yeah. and shopped and had lunch. Yeah. We shared a, we shared that responsibility yeah, well, Ro. We, we did. And she would say to me once in a while, do you want me to drive to you? I'm like, no, we're good. <laughs> I think I had to follow her one time. Maybe she was taking her car in. I was just was petrified. What, what did she drive? That Torino? No, she had a Volare. She had a what? A gray, sil- that silver gl- Volare. Oh, that's right. 
It was a velare. That's right. Yeah, it had lots of dents. She never understood how it got dense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see that a lot on my part, a lot of it, where I live. <laughs> so funny. Um, so, oh, the other thing she does, she she taught us, this is part of her driving logic, was when you're in a parking lot, you just... You wait until you, you you ride around until you get that pull through space, so you don't have to back out. And I do that sometimes too. I do too. I'm See? a fan of that. See, absolutely. Facing breast cancer in 1959 was a hell of a lot different than dealing with it today. From diagnostic testing to imaging to the various surgical methods. You can only imagine how much fear the patient and family endured. I'm not diminishing the diagnosis for those of you facing cancer today, simply saying the unknown was even greater back then. Well, mom's not wasting time getting to the doctor could very easily be the reason she lived until 93. She could have put it off, buried her head in the sand, but no, she faced it head on. No way anybody else was going to raise me. The scar she was left with, which ran across one side of her chest, was so crude and prominent. She had to look at herself every day like that. You heard from my sister how she handled it with grace. I never remember her complaining. I saw her naked plenty of times, and it never fazed me. It was a part of her a badge of courage. As for her moving to Florida for my father, in the beginning it frightened her being so far from family. Prior to the move, for many years, Mom had been working at Stewart's at Reisterstown Road Plaza as a sales lady in costume jewelry. She wanted to continue working when she moved to Florida, so she arranged for a transfer within the same corporation to a department store down south called Robinson's. She loved it there. Working helped her transition to her new life in Florida, and that was one of the reasons she needed to drive after Dad died to get herself to work. She could have paid for someone to drive her around, but Mom was resolute in her decision to remain fiercely independent. She had a vision, a goal, an innate sense of survival, and went for it. These lessons of putting one foot in front of the other and carrying on is what she imparted to the three of us. She was the embodiment of assessing a situation, deciding the proper course of action, and forging ahead without looking back. Her actions throughout her life, whether she was seeking out a friend to dealing with her own emotional and physical problems, prove this. She was one determined lady. Please join us next week for the last chapter of Bell. Thank you for listening to another episode of What Does Your Family Look Like? Please like and subscribe and follow us on all social media at WDYFLL, the podcast. 